Thank you, musicians. That was great. Good morning. How are y'all doing? I love seeing all the uh, Hawaiian shirts on. This is great. Thanks for wearing Hawaiian on Wednesday. Is anyone brave enough this week to uh, wear a Hawaiian shirt every day? I don't think anyone... Have you? I haven't. You will? All right. Let's clap it out. Mayor. No, it's great to see you guys. And truly, truly, this affects me a lot when I hear y'all sing. In Christ Alone is a, is a song that really, really means a lot to me. Um, so normally it's just hard for me to sing it just because I get emotional when I hear it. And then when I hear you guys sing it, it's tough. It's tough. It means so much. So I encourage you guys to just be bold during these worship services and sing. Even if you don't feel like you're a good singer, let's make a joyful noise, not a good one. So just be bold in this. This is the time to, to practice if you're new to worship. All right, so let's get into our lesson today. I have affectionately called it, Me and My Seven Billion Lonely Friends. So tell me if this sounds familiar. I live in a house with a family and siblings. I'm around them all the time. I eat meals with them. I go on vacations with them. They know who I am and yet I still feel lonely. I go to a school that has hundreds, if not thousands of other students. I'm around them for the better part of eight plus hours a day. I'm in classes with them. I eat meals with them. I do sports with them. And yet I still feel lonely. I have access to almost every person or thing in the world through a cell phone or a laptop, and I still feel isolated. How is it that we have more access to media, more access to entertainment, more access to social gaming than any other generation in the history of mankind, and yet we still feel lonely? How is that? That's going to be our topic today. Because no matter how much we try to hide it, everybody at some point in their life feels lonely or isolated. There are roughly 7 billion people on the planet, and they all feel lonely at times. And we're here to discuss why that is. So if you look on the board, that's my brief outline for you guys to follow. I'm quite proud of my uh, little play on words here. First thing is iPhones in isolation. iPhones in isolation. <clears throat> There's a woman by the name of Jean Twangy. Am I saying her last name correctly? Jean Twangy. Fantastic. She is an American psychologist who devotes the, the bulk of her research to generational differences. So her whole job is to figure out what are the differences between the generations. And this isn't some woman who is here to just make you feel bad that you're not as hardworking as your grandfather was. She's really in the data, reading so much material, spending years of her life studying these differences. And this is what she had to say in relation to your generation. She calls your generation iGen, like iPhone iGen. So that's what she's referring to here. Here's a quote. Rates of teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed since 2011. It's not an exaggeration to describe iGen as being on the brink 
of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Much of this deterioration can be traced to your iPhone. Now, before you have an idea of what this lesson is going to be like, I'm not saying iPhones are bad. They're tools. But I want to discover why do we feel lonely when we have more access than any person in the history of mankind and we still haven't solved the problem? It would be natural for us to feel lonely if we lived in some uh, lonely country, third world country, maybe in a small, small, small town where all you really know are 100 people in your village or in your town. To us, that seems like, yeah, I can understand how you feel lonely in that. But what's your excuse? What's our excuse? Why do I feel lonely when I have, I don't know, 600 people on Facebook that I can message at any time? There has to be something more to this. So, Jean Twainy had some reasonings that she's discovered of why iPhones or technology can directly correlate with our feeling of isolation. One is that we don't go out very much, comparative to the generations before. Why is that? Because we have all the entertainment we want on our phones. You need a quick dopamine hit, you've got it right there. You have any entertainment that you want, why would you then put the effort in to go hang out with friends? So we feel isolated because we don't hang out nearly as much as we used to. And it's directly related to the source of technology. I'd rather sit in my bed and scroll through TikTok or scroll through Instagram than it is for me to, to schedule a hangout with the buds, right? It's just a draw that we have because it's so entertaining and it's addicting, right? Another reason is even if we do go out, we always document it. Have you guys ever been around a friend group while you're at a party and the friend's just constantly taking photos or snapping back either girls or boys? And you're sort of like, can you put the phone up and connect with me, right? We've all been around that. I've certainly been around that. I, I had, uh, in college, I would meet with a lot of guys um, in younger grades than me, especially as I got older. And I had a meeting with a guy who asked me specifically, could we hang out and have a, uh, he wanted to chat about what was going on in his life. I said, of course, let's do it. Met at a coffee shop. I sat down. I bought him his drink because I arrived there a little early. We sat down. We're, we're chatting. And then immediately he pulls out his phone and he's like, just give me one second. No problem. Takes a little longer than a second. It's fine. Maybe he's talking to someone important. It's time sensitive. He then puts it back down, continues to talk a little bit, pulls it back up, then like asks me a question while he's texting on his phone. I'm like, why are we even doing this? Like, did you not want to meet with me for even 45 minutes? Like, is it that hard to disconnect from your phone? And then we get to talk about his life a little bit, and kind of finally we get into a groove where I'm able to kind of talk back and forth. He then asked me a question about what's going on in my life. It was a very nice thing for him to ask. The one-on-one, in my mind, wasn't for me. It was to help him. But I started talking about my life as soon as I talked about what was going on. And I'm, I'm a pretty vulnerable individual, so I kind of launched into some personal details. Pulled out his phone. Started texting someone. And it was, I was very close to the point of getting really angry with him during that. But I just looked at him and I said, dude, we can schedule this another time if it's better for you. And we had a moment where we kind of shared and I said, I, it is hurtful that it seems like you don't want to spend time with me because you have to document or you have to text people. But here's a little flip side to that. So let's say you're at a party, your friend's snapping the whole party, send it to all their friends. Guess what happens then? 
You feel disconnected because they're doing that. But what about the people at home on their phones watching your party? It's kind of like a double-edged sword. So now you don't even feel connected at your own party, documenting it. And now the people at home feel isolated because they're not invited to your party. You see how much of a mess this is? You're sitting at home and you're thinking, I don't really have a good friend community. Like I have friends, but I don't really feel like I'm, I'm kind of in the inner circle. And now I'm in bed, open Snapchat. Oh, they had a, you know, a fun party without me. They had a movie night. I guess I wasn't invited. Do you get what I'm saying? They feel isolated because of your documentation and the people at your own party feel isolated because of your documentation. This is why we feel so much more isolated with our phones. It's because we use them in the wrong manner. Here's another quote from Gene Twain. Girls have also borne the brunt of the rise in depressive symptoms among today's teens. Boys' depressive symptoms increased by 21% from 2012 to 2015. Increased by 21%. While girls, get this, increased by 50% during that same time period. More than twice as much. This is real. It really affects us. Don't fall into the category of assuming that you know how to manage technology and that your loneliness is somehow detached from it. This data doesn't lie. She devoted her life to studying this stuff. There's tons of sources for what she's saying. But, I don't know, 21% in boys over a few years span, 50% in girls since the widespread of technology and phones became popular. So the world, as I mentioned in my last lesson, the world doesn't help at all in this category. And when I use the term the world, what I'm referring to is that kingdom of darkness that we're in right now. Is I'm saying, we have struggles on our own, feeling isolated, and what does the world do? Remember yesterday? The world pushes, it's all about you, right? So when you're feeling isolated, what's the best remedy for isolation? Oh, it's to just think about me and be only focused on me, right? Surely that'll give me community. That should be a ridiculous notion when you hear it, but yet that's what we feel. The world pushes for individualism. It's all about me. The last lesson, we talked about the pressures that come with that, right? We were talking about the anxiety of like, it's all about you. You have to perform well. You have to do well. You can't mess up or else you're a failure. And that came with all that pressure. And that kind of goes along with the, the works and grace lesson we heard last night, right? So much pressure about me, me. But this also affects us feeling isolated. You don't have a team anymore. You might all be going towards the same goal, but if it's all about you, you don't have anybody else. And the world masks this in this kind of pretty view where you're like, ah, oh, yeah, but you get to control your life. It's going to be great. You're in the pilot seat. But you're the only one in the pilot seat, and you're alone. And this data, this depressive symptoms, they're serious. I'm not saying you feel bummed out that you're not hanging out with friends. That's the lightest end of the spectrum of depressive symptoms. During the first kind of uh, COVID outbreak in college for me back in 2019, 2020, in one semester we had three students commit suicide. I did not know any of them, but three in one semester commit suicide. Those are linked 
to depressive symptoms. I'm not saying every depressive symptoms means that's the end, but I am saying in the spectrum, you can't always rely on the fact that, well, this data probably just means we're more bummed out than usual. No. This is dangerous data to hear. It's because the world pushes that it's all about you. You solve your problems. You get up. I don't care about everyone else. You're in my way kind of mentality, right? Or we're in a team, but it's still about us. You're not truly in a team, right? This individualism that the world creates is dangerous because it masks under this whole you're in control. Does that make sense? So when we do have non-Christian friends, let's say we are in a community, you're in a, you're in a conversation with a non-Christian friend. This even pertains to Christian friends, but especially those who are more of the world. Have you noticed that it's shallow? If you think in your head, think to, to maybe hanging out with some of your non-Christian buddies, what are the conversations that you have? Are they about your soul? Are, you, are they about the important things of life? Your struggles, your anxiety? If I can call out my small group, we uh, had a great conversation yesterday talking about how it's difficult for us to be vulnerable with each other because we're afraid of the backlash or the power that gives somebody else. It's hard with a Christian community. It's way harder when they're not even a Christian. It's just a shallow way of living because they don't care about what's actually important for you. All they care about is the me aspect. Have you been in a conversation where it feels like all they're talking about is just themselves and you don't feel like they actually care about you? Doesn't that make you feel lonely? I can be sitting here having a conversation with you right now and if you're only talking about yourself, I don't really feel like you care about me, right? Thanks for picking on you. But we deal with that so much and we just kind of go like, yeah, we have community though. I have, uh, have 2,000 friends on Instagram. I'm popular. I've got community. But does your community care about you at all? Or do they just pretend to or have a shallow relationship with you? Because that guarantees feeling lonely. We don't like to admit that because we're afraid it makes us seem unpopular. We care about what the world thinks about us in that realm. and It makes us feel weak. One way that we find a source of this feeling loved, feeling community is through the abuse of our sexual identities. The amount of kids and the age is getting younger and younger that they're being exposed to this. The amount of kids that instead of putting in the work to build their own character, they then find somebody to then use what God uses for sex in the covenant that he had in marriage. They abuse it by getting a quick fix. Hookup culture is the term that is thrown around a lot recently. It's very, very easy to manufacture feeling loved in those ways. And that's an abuse, and I guarantee you, it never truly fulfills you. I talk about college a lot, because I just came from it. It is rampant in college. I've had conversations with friends at two in the morning, them bawling their eyes out because of the shame that they feel. Because of the pursuit of wanting to feel loved by somebody, that they made a mistake that they could regret. It eats away at you. And it's just us feeling lonely and needing to feel that fix. The rise in use of pornography is the same way. I'd rather have a dopamine hit that's instant, whatever I want, quick, no strings attached, no commitment. I'm just looking on my phone. 
We're just drawn to this stuff, and it's so dangerous. And you know what the world does about it? Nothing but encourages it. It says, live your life. You're in control. If you think it's worth it, go for it. If it makes it feel better, probably will. The world doesn't care about your soul, and that's why you feel lonely in it. As Christians, we need deeper connections than the shallow feelings that we get from the world, right? We need deeper connections, and I'm talking about your soul. You are important. You were made in the image of God. You reflect God. You need that soul cared for. And the world does not care about you at all, nor your soul. And so finding that community within the world is how you feel lonely in it. Christians need care for their soul. So now that we're all efficiently sad about this, iPhones in isolation, this culture that we've created of loneliness, we hide it because it makes us feel weak, and it creates a spiral, and it releases into inner turmoil and tension and depressive symptoms, and it results in very, very dangerous things. But just like yesterday's lesson, the gospel doesn't stop here. The gospel doesn't say, well, the world says you got to be good enough. Here's how you become good enough. Go for it. Because as I said before, every single one of you in this room, and I might not know every one of you, but I can guarantee you this, you can't be good enough. You can't clean yourself up enough. The rag you're trying to wash yourself with is filthy. But here's the encouraging part. Just like the two words that we used yesterday, but God, right? And the flood of encouragement that we got from that, I have a very important word right down there for you. Emmanuel. Who knows what that means? Raise your hand. Did you have your hand raised? You want to give it a try? Go for it. It's okay. God, that's part of it. Who knows what Emmanuel means? Who can finish that? God with us. It's literally in the name. We as Christians have true, deep, meaningful connection with our Heavenly Father. Emmanuel means God with us. You are never truly alone because God is always with you. And we're going to talk a little bit about how that looks. God has given two different avenues in a general sense in which we feel community. Himself, we find community through God, simply through himself, God with us. And the second, through the church. So here's what that looks like. Some think God created the universe, created life, kind of set it in order, and then spun the globe into motion. Step back. Watched it. That's a detached God that doesn't care about us. He just made something and like a clock spun it and just watches it until it burns, right? That's one way of looking at it. But we've proven over and over and over in the Bible that God is an active father to you who knows you better than your own father here on earth. So if God promises that he's always with you, you cannot think of him as some God that spins the globe or some God who just has a list of names that doesn't really know who they are. You know, when you arrive at the pearly gates, you go, hey, I'm Nathan Carroll. And he goes, okay, 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 okay. 
and he checks it off. That's not how God greets us. We show up there, and through Christ, through the work of Christ, he goes, well done, my good and faithful servant. He knows you. He cares about you. He has promised through his name that he will always be with you. So he provides community in himself and through the church. Can we please turn to Acts 16? Acts 16. We're just starting in verse 25. Here's a little bit of context. Paul and Silas, right before this, were walking, and then a demon-possessed woman followed them, spouting words to them. And Paul turned around and, in the name of Christ, cast the demon out. And unfortunately, that woman was a fortune teller in the town. I use quotes on that. Very popular, made a lot of money, so people were not happy that now their business was away. So what did they do? They created a riot and they threw him in prison. Paul and Silas, verse 25, let's read it. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Excuse me, actually, I'm going to back up a few verses. Verse 22, verse 22. Acts 16, verse 22. When the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. So now we know where they are. Verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison, prison was shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep, seeing the prisoner's doors open, supposed the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, this is the jailer. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the, uh, the word of the Lord to him and to all those who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. What an encouraging passage to hear. If you thought you feel isolated, Paul and Silas were beaten, humiliated, stripped naked in front of everyone, thrown in prison, in the inner prison, shackled by themselves. They were not only physically isolated, but also from the community. And what did they do? Someone raise your hand. Take a guess at what did they do? They were in prison, isolated. I think it's verse 25. Who's got it? Yes. They prayed. That's one of parts. There's one more part. They started singing. 
they prayed and sang hymns. And you know what God did? He still used them through their isolation, through their humiliation, and he still used them to convert people. Isn't that incredible? As lonely as you feel, as useless as you feel, as humiliated as you feel, God still uses you for his good pleasure. You are never truly alone because God is with you. And this text proves that that actually is real. Do you see what I'm saying? You're not useless when you feel depressed and isolated. and You're like, I can't do anything. This is proof that God still uses you. Okay? Now, to close this out, let's talk about that second circle. So we, God with you, with us, excuse me, is how he gives community through himself. He's also given us the church. A physical body of people in which we don't have to feel lonely. Because the church cares for your soul. And as Christians, we already talked about that. We need that. Does that make sense? We can't grow in the faith apart from community of faith. If you're a Christian, or you know someone who is a professing believer, who doesn't go to church, doesn't participate in worship, doesn't read their Bible, doesn't pray, how do you think they're going to grow in their faith? How do you think you're going to grow in your faith? Apart from the means, the ways, the avenues, the tools in which God has given you to grow. Church isn't really for me. Wrong. Read the Bible. We're called to be a part of a physical church. To hear the word being preached, to sing the words as a community, to pray, to experience more of the means of grace through baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are all ways in which to make us feel less isolated. It is important for Christians to be a part of a community of believers because that's how we grow in faith. So don't get caught up in the, oh, it's just me and God. We're just going to do our own thing. That's not how it works. So if you want to find community, you always have it with God. And secondly, you always have a body of believers. Lean on them. Use them. That's what they're here for. I'm going to close this out with a, a brief story. As some of you know, uh, in part of my testimony, I talk about the experiencing death through uh, a lot of my friends passing away. I've fortunately had three friends pass away in the last eight or so years. Um, one of which, the first one that I experienced, was a very dear friend of mine. Uh, he was a few years older than me. His family was devout Christians. His dad is an elder at a church. Um, so we heard about the accident. We heard that he died. We were just ridden with this sadness. The week later, we went to the, the funeral. And I'm going to call the dad, John, just for anonymity's sake. So John's there, <clears throat> and he's got a smile on his face. And he's welcoming people into the funeral. Hey, how are you doing? He's one of the happiest people I've ever met. He's like the classic grandpa, like, hey, how are you doing? Like, shakes your hand. And I'm, like, taking it back. We're at his son's funeral. And he's greeting everyone with a smile, saying, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. It means a lot. So we get to talking with him. And one of the things that he said was, he has worshipped his whole life. He's been an elder for many, many years. He has routinely participated in the Lord's Supper. He knows what it means. He's enjoyed it 
But he said, his son, I believe, passed away on a Friday night. He said that next Sunday, they um, participated in the Lord's Supper. And he said, He said that was the first time that he could feel worshiping and eating with the heavenly hosts. He said, I'm sitting there, I'm eating the bread, and I can almost see my son worshiping with me. The means of grace are real, they're important. You're not alone. You're not alone. Even if you experience death, if they're a professing believer, they're celebrating right now. They're eating with you. This is real. You are not alone. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We don't always understand why we're here at this current time. Why we feel lonely even though we're surrounded by so many people. But Lord, we know that through you, we are never alone. We are never truly alone because you promised that you're with us and you've provided us a community here on earth to encourage, to challenge, and to nurture our faith. Lord, I ask that all these students here and these sponsors... These musicians lean on the community that you've given them. That they know that you love them and that they are never truly isolated. Even though it's tough to see sometimes. Lord, give them that encouragement. Say all this in your name. Amen.